Hello, and welcome to the Good Things Podcast. I am Emily Honey, and I am here today with my always lovely mother and co-host, Charlie Glenn. Hello, everyone. We are so happy to have you guys with us today. We're always happy to have you with us, but uh, today we get to talk to a wonderful friend of ours. We've known her for, gosh, I don't know, between 10 and 20 years. I'm not sure how long, but a long time. And uh, her name is Shelly Lowe, and she is married to one of our good friends, Paul Lowe, who's been on the show before. And um, she's just, uh, I don't know, she's just awesome. And so we're really excited to share our conversation that we had with her with you all. But first, we're going to do our good things. So mom, what's something good in your life today? This week, due to... Grayson, my eldest grandson's birthday, my son and his wife bought a ping pong table for the family, which is now housed in the extra side of my garage. And we are a ping pong playing family. And it's been so much fun. I bet. Do you get ping pong elbow? You know how you can get tennis elbow? Do you get like ping pong elbow from playing tennis? I don't know, but when I woke up this morning, my hand hurt, and I think Mm. it's from ping pong paddle. Ping pong (laughs) holding hand instead of ping pong elbow. Ping pong wrist. (laughs) Ping pong wrist. Maybe you should do it left-handed. Get really good. Will be next to impossible for me. I am so (laughs) right-handed. Ping pong shark people. Is that a thing? Probably not. I don't know. That sounds fun. I can't wait to come up when we visit next time and play ping pong. I'm not great at it by any means. So probably everyone will beat me, but that's okay. Well, Grayson's already learned how to spin the ball. Um, His dad's already taught him. So yeah. That's your, I just, I know. (laughs) I just, I I could never beat Seth at ping pong. So I'm not surprised, but that's okay. I can still beat Grayson in a foot race and I'm sure I can beat Seth. Although I doubt he would race me. So So what's your good thing? Oh, goodness. I had thought of something earlier today before we recorded, and I can't remember it. Um, so that's good. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just, it's been really, really nice. And it's spring. Things are blooming. And I don't know. I've just been really enjoying being outside in the yard lately. And I found, this is very insignificant, but I found this stuff that's like Cool Whip, but it's made out of coconut milk and coconut fat, which is great because Jeremy, ha- my husband has like food sensitivity sensitivities like egg and dairy. We didn't really buy Cool Whip that much to begin with, but now we can buy this coconut milk Cool Whip and it's delicious. I just ate some for my lunch with some <laughs> strawberries and granola. <laughs> Don't judge me. I thought you just ate that for lunch. <laughs> just that, just out of the carton. But you know what? If I had, it wouldn't be that bad. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's sugar in it too, but it's fine. No, I ate it with some fruit and some granola. So it wasn't just that, but it was basically like having a little parfait. Yum. It I was delicious. One. It was delicious. Very yeah. like spring-like type of type of deal. So it was really good. So I'm really excited about finding that. And it was completely accidental that I came across it. 
yeah. a grocery store win. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Which is great because I feel like even recently there have been a lot of things that they're like, sorry, we're out of this. Like, okay, well, that's fine. We'll make do without. But yeah. now we have coconut milk whipped cream. So I'm going to need to see the packaging. Okay, I'll show it to you. The brand is so delicious. Okay. That's what it is. <laughs> I can link it in the show notes because I know just everybody will be dying to run out and buy it. Um, right. You know, all these people I will. <laughs> who don't, who have dairy sensitivities like we do over here. So I guess that's my good thing is the dairy-free Cool Whip that I found. Mm, it's yum, delicious. Yum, yum. It's delicious. Sounds good. So, and, and the being outdoors a lot. I love working in the yard. It's just The red fun. cedars will just finish pollinating. I love being outdoors more. I just take a lot of allergy medicine. It's I'm sure not the <laughs> best too. choice. It's fine. If you just can't handle not hearing us and just love how much, you know, we talk about super important things sometimes like dairy-free cool whip, make sure that you're subscribed right now. You're listening to the podcast. We're about to go into a much wiser, better conversation than we're having right now. So hit subscribe. And if you are an Apple iTunes, do me a favor and just hit five stars and leave a little comment about how much you like the show. That really helps increase our visibility for anybody who's looking to listen to something like this. So we'd really appreciate it if you guys would do that. And also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we're good things podcast on Instagram. There are, what are those underscores in between the words? So if you just search good things podcast, we should be the first one to come up, even though there is another one, but they have no content. So we get it. Yeah, first, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they got the name, but we actually have content. So there you go. So follow along there and participate with us because we love hearing your feedback and hearing what you like and, and don't like and all that good stuff. So make sure that you're following along because we'd love to hear from you and love to see what's going on with you as well. All right. Anything to add before we jump into our conversation with Shelly, mom? No, I'm really excited to hear from Shelly today. And it's just such a picture of God's grace and the fact that good things aren't always easy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We're excited to share her story with you. So we hope you enjoy it. Hi, Shelly. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Would you, thank you. Would you tell us about yourself and your family and what you do? Sure. My name is Shelly Lowe and I am married to Polo. Um, <laughs> yeah. We live on a small farm. We have two beautiful children and been married for almost 14 years. On our small farm, we raise grass-fed sheep and chickens and rabbits and pigs. Wow, you're busy. Yes. <laughs> I also homeschool our children. Well, I guess just the first one. The, the second one is too young. So. <laughs> I'm sure he's absorbing it all. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. So what made you guys decide that you wanted to have a farm? How long have you had the farm? We moved to our farm in 2012. When we were looking for houses, we went from a small apartment in the city while Paul was in grad school. And when we were looking for houses, we just decided that we really like to have one with acreage with it. So we started looking for ones with a little bit of acreage. 
and we wound up with 20 acres. And we decided if we were going to have that much land, we really wanted to make it work for us. Help rehabilitate it also because it had suffered a, a bad forest fire the summer before we bought it. So we started getting animals. Like our neighbor down the street, we saw that he raised rabbits. So we bought four rabbits from him and that was kind of the start. And then, uh, then we started getting chickens and then we bought some sheep to help control the grass over the summer so that Paul wouldn't have to spend like hours and hours mowing all of this grass. <laughs> so we, we got some sheep and it just kind of grew from there. So was the sheep, is taking care of the sheep less time than mowing the grass? Um, <laughs> well, I guess it's more spread out. Like in the summertime, right. So spending like every weekend mowing the grass. Right, right. Um, but the sheep, like you spend a little bit of time in the morning, a little bit of time in the evening, you know, and really like during the summer, well, during the summer, I guess it's more labor intensive because we're moving them from pasture to pasture every few days and there's some work involved there. But we also get meat from them. So nice. they're taking, they're eating our grass and turning it into meat that we can eat. So kind of a trade off. I guess we see it better than just spending the time and the gas to mow it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you can all do taking care of the sheep together more easily probably than mowing. Yeah. And, and that is true because like sometimes I'll do the chores or we all help when it's time to move them. And when's getting pretty good at uh, helping out too. She's, um, she'll put sheep about to turn eight. Oh, wow. She's actually becoming quite the farmhand. It's pretty fun. And we just also launched a YouTube channel to full of our farming exploits and adventures. And she's she's in that a lot, helping out. It's really cute to see her work. Well, that's exciting. We'll have to put your YouTube link in our show notes so people can actually see you at work on your farm. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and what's it called? Lowbridge Farm. It's pretty easy to find. So you can also find us on Facebook under that too. Yeah. And do you guys sell at farmers markets and things like that? We I do. saw that you had eggs for sale. Yes. So our chickens have started laying again after their winter slump. So we have like 18 dozen eggs. Wow. <laughs> wow. In our house. Um, so we're like, yes, please buy some. And once the farmers markets start up in May, we'll start selling at the farmers market. And we, we also sell our pork and our lamb meat, and we have meat chickens too. A lot of good stuff. What's your favorite part about having a farm? Um, eating what we grow is is pretty satisfying. Being able to like I haven't bought chicken or pork in several years, um, unless it was like something cured, like like a sausage or a mm-hmm. meat or something. Because I haven't even heard of you that yet. <laughs> <laughs> See, I said yes. <laughs> I was going to say, but it's coming <laughs> soon, apparently. Huh? <laughs> the vast majority of the meat that we eat, we grow here. Um, I haven't bought bacon in several years, so that's, that's pretty satisfying. We haven't quite got the gardening thing down real well. Mm. I mean, we have a garden, and it does produce, but we're not great at it yet. <laughs> so we're better at the livestock. That makes sense. I feel like gardening can be really hard. <laughs> It's, I'm not gonna lie, it intimidates me just having to keep track of everything, like when it needs to be planted, when it needs to be harvested, what comes next, when all that stuff. It's, right. uh, it's hard for me to keep it in the brain thing. <laughs> yeah. 
the few times I've had a garden, I always felt like it was just never convenient when everything came in. <laughs> it was like, wait, I don't have time to pick all those green beans and then and then and <laughs> do something with them. I know, we ran into that last, last summer. I planted way more cucumber plants than I needed. Uh, I, <laughs> I remember that. Don't know how much each plant produces. So we're like, yeah, let's just throw it in there. And pepper plants. So we had, oh my gosh, we had tons and tons of cucumbers, and I like couldn't pick them and eat them or pickle them or do whatever with them fast enough. <laughs> they were just everywhere. So I made so many batches of pickles. It's ridiculous. I have. I have so many jars of pickles in my pantry now, and we're not even like that big of pickle leaders. Pickle <laughs> <laughs> leaders to get rid of all these pickles. Something to sell at the farmers market. <laughs> yes, and I did. I sold them at the farmers market. I gave them away. I pickled them and gave them away. It was yeah, it was crazy. So, and the peppers did the same thing. I was overrun with with banana peppers and bell peppers, and what's the other one? Oh, jalapenos. Well, how fun, and um, I think that it's really amazing for people like you and Paul and others to to do this farming, have small farms and work them so hard. And I know that, like ranchers I've known in the past, you have to have another job, one of you does, to help support your habit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, unfortunately, it doesn't pay the bills. Um, Paul does right. have a job that he works Two and a half days a week. Um, right. And, uh, but he would much rather be farming. If and when we figure out a way to make the farm pay for itself and pay us, <laughs> he will gladly quit his day job. So. <laughs> Understandable. Understandable. Yeah. Well, we specifically want to hear about your children and Kind of some things that you and Paul have experienced in the process of trying to grow your family. Yeah, sure. Um, well, as I said, I have, two, I have two beautiful children. Our oldest is almost eight, and our youngest just turned one. There's a bit of an age gap there, um, which was not our intention, but God knows better than us. Right. Um, when we first got married, we decided, yes, we did want to have kids. Because there was a point where I was like, you know what? I'm kind of good about kids. But <laughs> ultimately, Same. we decided, yes, we do want to have kids. And, and we wanted ideally two. But we also wanted some time just for us as a couple. So we were like, okay, let's, let's wait about five years and then start having kids. I was just fine at the time. You know, that was our plan. When I think when we got to about four years or three and a half to four years, we are like, no. Oh, it's just now. <laughs> 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 it was at that time that we kind of stopped contraceptive measures and stuff, but it didn't come as easily as we thought it would. So as the first couple of months were like nothing happened, like, hmm, okay, well, it's fine. We just, even, you know, they say healthy couples, it can take up to a year, and it's it's really not until after a year of trying that a doctor really even be worried about it. Okay, we just keep going, and I think it was like right after that that one year mark when we got pregnant. So it was like right about the time we were really starting to get concerned, um, and contemplating seeing a doctor about it. We're like, oh yeah, we're pregnant, so no big deal. Beautiful daughter, enjoyed her, and when she was about a year old, we decided, okay, let's let's 
kind of start looking at the next, you know, having the next one. Yeah. I didn't, in my mind, like I, or I just think that's what I wanted. I wanted to be, I wanted to have more than one kid, but I wanted to be done by the time I was 35. You know, that magic 35 number in there. Right, yeah. Right. It was, you know, old after that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, it changed. I, my magic number was 30. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and considering we didn't get married until we were 25, and it didn't give us a whole lot of time to you know, right. even those two kids. Um, um, okay, well, we better get started on it now in case it takes a little bit longer than we thought it would, like the first one did. Well, it took a lot longer than we thought it would. <laughs> so, and it, you know, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, and we tried for a couple of, a couple of years. And the longer it was taking, the more discouraged and the more worried we were getting. So I think we've been trying for three years when we decided to see a fertility specialist. And they ran all kinds of tests, um, all the non-invasive tests that they can run. And everything came out normal, which was disappointing in that they didn't, they couldn't identify why we weren't having kids. Having, why we weren't getting pregnant again. Um, you know, there wasn't this, oh, this is what's wrong with you and this is what we can do about it. Yeah. Or what we can't do about it. Right. Those are just like, well, we, we run all, all the tests that we can and we can't, we can't identify what's wrong. So there's still hope for you, but we don't know why. Hmm. <laughs> so we were kind of left with, okay, I guess we keep trying. We did try some minimally invasive Fertility treatments, like I think I took the epiclomid for a few months to stimulate population. And we did three rounds of uh, intrauterine insemination and IUI. And the first time we did it, it worked. And I got pregnant. And we were so excited. Anna was about four, and she was super excited to have a brother or sister, particularly a sister. <laughs> I remember her praying like every day in her sweet little voice that she wanted God to give me a baby and it to be a girl so she could have a sister. He told her and she was super excited. The day I found out I was pregnant, he told everybody (laughs) and so we were super excited. But unfortunately that one didn't make it. Uh, When we went in for the eight week ultrasound, they couldn't find heartbeats. That was really hard. Especially since Anne was in the room too. Like we had brought her there. The six week ultrasound, I guess. Everything was fine. They found the heartbeat and everything. So we decided to take Anne to the eight week. When we couldn't find the heartbeat, I remember like just kind of sitting there in disbelief and looking at Anne and trying to hold it together for her. Cause I didn't want to scare her and I didn't want her to get upset. So her being there actually kind of helped me hold it together. <laughs> At least while we were in the doctor's office. And so that that was extremely hard. And of course having to put in her that was pretty crushing. And it was right before we celebrated our tenth anniversary. <laughs> oh wow. That was a hard year. We did a after that we did a couple more IUIs and then decided, you know what, we are throwing a lot of money at this and it's not working and we're not willing to do IVF. So let's just put uh, the money that we would spend towards fertility treatments, let's put it towards an adoption fund. And so we started considering adoption and moving forward in that direction because 
we really had the feeling that our family was not complete, just wasn't complete, that there was a child out there for us that God had for us, whether it was born of us or of someone else. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, we went on, started on the adoption journey. Yeah, it's in 2017, I guess. All the paperwork and all of stuff that you have to get together for all that took forever just to get like the application together. Now, of course, it's not something that got a lot of time to do either. So we kind of like dragged out that process, just getting the application started. There was probably a part of us that was still hoping that we'd get pregnant and we wouldn't have to mess with this, but, um, and we were still kind of resolving ourselves to not having a child biologically to in that process. And the, the further we got, the more okay I, I was with it, not bearing another child. I mean, yes, one of that because it was a lot simpler than, in my mind, than adoption. It's like a complicated process. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I'm getting really okay with not bearing another child. Pregnancy was, my pregnancy before was, was pretty easy, but it's never that easy. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Maybe we can, maybe if we adopt like a slightly older child instead of like an infant, we can skip the infant phase. That would be fun. Right. Uh, that sounded appealing. So God was working in both of us, and we have to ask Paul about all the process he was going through to kind of, again, resolve ourselves to, okay, this, you know, this is going to be okay. And then kind of nowhere, I got pregnant again. <laughs> so complete surprise. We had stopped you know, tracking and we had stopped all of that and stopped really trying to get pregnant. We weren't trying to stop it, so. <laughs> and yeah, uh, summer of 2019, I was like, guess what? <laughs> pregnant. And uh, that's a funny story too, how I told Paul. Um, I, I was late and like, well, I suppose I should probably get the pregnancy test. I'm just a couple days late. It's, it's fine. And I happen to have one pregnancy test left in the cabinet. And I pull it out and like, it expires today. <laughs> oh, I, you know, if it's negative, no big deal. You know, I'm going to throw it away anyway. <laughs> so I right. took it and it was positive. And I was like, what? <laughs> I just was staring at it. Like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so I, you know, I went out of the bathroom. It was like late in the evening after and I had gone to bed and so interesting thing until fall, like, I just took pregnancy death and saw this. And he had the same reaction I did. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I took him in the bathroom and showed him the death, and he's like, what? <laughs> 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 and he was, he was like, he was so, and I told him about the expiration date and everything, and he was like, I'm going to go get another test. Okay. So he runs down. <laughs> the street to the Dollar General, like down the street, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's like 10 o'clock at night, and they're about to close, and he's like looking around, confused, you know, trying to find where they <laughs> those things. The guy behind the counter sees him, he's like, are you okay, dude? Can I help you with something? And I'm like, I need a pregnancy test. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're behind the counter for some reason. And um so yeah, he buys it and and I take it and it's positive again. And I'm like, wow, okay. So we're pregnant again. That started us on a whole other adventure. 
we were a lot more hesitant this time to, to tell people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as the weeks went by, and it was still pregnant, um, <laughs> we started telling people. Paul was able to go with me at every doctor's appointment, which was great. Back up just a little. So <laughs> you'd had a miscarriage. Now you have a positive pregnancy test. If you can, put in a few words, what kind of emotions flowed through you over being pregnant again and having had a miscarriage? Um, yeah, I was actually about to say that. There was a lot of anxiety there because, like, I just feel like at any any day that it was going to be over. And every doctor's appointment that I went to, I was afraid that they wouldn't be able to find a heartbeat or there would be something wrong. We didn't take Anne to any of the doctor's appointments. because Even, like, the ultrasounds, which are super fun, because we didn't want that to have, like, we didn't want to have that moment where the doctor's like, Thank is wrong in her room and has to like explain it to her right there. So there was a lot of anxiety at, at every doctor's appointment. Once we got out of the, the first trimester, that helped a lot with that anxiety. I think my first uh, my first prenatal appointment I think was like ten weeks or something. Once you got out of the, the first trimester, it helped a lot. There was less anxiety, but then like at the mid-pregnancy ultrasound, at like 18 weeks, and we found out it was a boy. <laughs> but they also found something a little concerning on the ultrasound. It was like a, I forget, there's a whole lot of long word, medical report that I can't remember right now. But it was a white spot in the heart, I think. Uh-huh. And it has some association with genetic abnormalities. And so the doctor recommended that we get like a level two ultrasound. We looked at it a lot more closely and they recommended that we got a genetic test. So I remember sitting in the waiting room of my OB's office, like we had just come from the, the ultrasound and like the ultrasound tech didn't, didn't indicate that there was a problem at all. And then we had like a few minutes before my, before seeing the doctor for like my regular prenatal check. And so coming from the ultrasound, we find out it's a boy, and we, you know, he, he looks healthy to us. And the, the tech didn't say anything. Got on her job. We're sitting there in the waiting room, just glowing, radiating joy that he looks healthy. It's a boy, and all these emotions, and the relief that nothing's wrong, um, nothing obvious is wrong. So all these fingers and toes. And, and we, we go into the, um, the prenatal appointment with the doctor, and she, she breaks the news to us that there is something concerning on the ultrasound. It was like high and crashing down as far as emotions go. Like, yeah. You, both of us come away from that appointment just riddled with anxiety and worry and, you know, what are we going to do? You know, what if, you know, the baby is, I mean, it could be, like, they were throwing around, um, like, a chromosomal abnormality, so we're talking, like, Down syndrome or something, like, even more uh, severe. Like, okay, we can handle that, you know, God knows what he's doing. It was a lot of effort in just, you know, telling ourselves it's going to be okay, but still being really, really scared. So, and we, we asked a bunch of people to pray for us. Our net, the level two ultrasound was like two weeks later. And I remember 
think I even wrote this in the journal, that the week leading up to the level two ultrasounds, which I should have been even more anxious in that week. Like, that's how I operate. It was just like a ramp up. But I remember being really, really at peace. And I know that it was all the prayers that everybody was praying for us. And I think Paul felt the same way. Like, there was a lot of peace going into that um, ultrasound. And I remember God telling me, he said, remember the moment after the first ultrasound before the doctor's been, that joy that you had. I want to give you that joy of your son. Remain in that joy. And I will give it to you. Okay, so I just kind of held on to that. Okay, but like, I want to live in that, the, the joy of my son. And God can give that to me. And we did. Because we went to the level two ultrasound and and we did we did do a genetic test and we got the results of the level two ultrasound. And the high risk doctor looked at it and he's like, It's fine. You have perfect you know, there is we can't find anything else concerning on this ultrasound. Whatever bright spot that they saw that concerned them the first time, it's gone. And so it was completely normal. And the the doctor even like gave me a lot of confidence in my age because I was over thirty five at this point and that's another reason, you know. I, I kept telling myself, you know, in my younger days, I'm not having I'm stopping having kids at thirty five. You know, just I'm not doing it. And whatever amount of kids I have before then, that's what I'm stopping at. Mm-hmm. Never say never. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But the doctor, the highest doctor, you know, when I expressed a little concern, I'm like, hey, I realize that I'm, I'm over 35, and then it's a risk factor for, um, for some birth complications. And he's like, you know what? That's actually an antiquated number. It's an antiquated definition for advanced maternal age. I think is what he said. And um, told us how that even came about and how it's like, not really applicable anymore, but it got put into the medical textbooks and it just stuck around. Hmm. So, <laughs> any of you mothers out there that are that were over 35 when you had your baby, you know, or you're over 35 and you still want to have babies, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> really, not that big a deal. That is. Really good news because that that's is, all I've ever heard. Yeah, great news. I've never heard that that's an antiquated number, so that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and actually, my my mom said that a number of my ancestors had babies like into their forties. Um, wow. Of course, you know back then they didn't, you know, contraception. So if you got pregnant after thirty-five, well, you had it. Yeah, <laughs> and you had a baby after you're 35, right? I mean, I had you know a couple of grandmothers that had like five or six kids or more, and some of them had multiple pregnancies and babies well after they were 35. Amazing, I love that. So, tell me a little bit about if it affected your relationship with Paul, or how it how it affected it if it did, or maybe how you guys grew in just kind of going through all this together? I think we <laughs> we learned to listen to God a lot closer. Um, and it, it was definitely a way of 
for God to draw us closer to Him. And Paul's had a few experiences where we were going through a particularly difficult time in our fertility journey. We would like be walking, doing the chores, the farm chores, and stop outside and just talk to God while he's outside. And God told him some profound things to him and revealed some stuff to him. And that gave him a lot of peace. And he's awesome, but. <laughs> But because God was speaking to both of us, we were able to come together and, all right, God, God really has got this and kind of be on the same page. And where if God revealed something to Paul, that would give me a lot of peace just to hear about it and vice versa. There were some points, particularly after the miscarriage, that um, we did struggle a lot to, like, to really figure out what each other needed in that moment and there was a little bit of a struggle to to regain a, a bit of that intimacy too um we were scared and, and there was some depression that came along with that and some anger at god after the miscarriage some, some pretty profound anger at god and eventually you know we both kind of figured out or god revealed to us that you know what god can handle our anger there were times when i just cried and just pretty much yelled at God <laughs> and <laughs> God's a big God and he can take it. But at the end of that, there was always this like, okay, I'm this hurt a lot, but I know that ultimately God's in control. I can't stay in that anger. You know? Yeah. Um, it was a slow process. God kind of healing us from that and rebuilding our faith from that. It was some, some loss of faith there after the miscarriage yeah he kind of slowly was there ever a moment or a point where you felt like maybe the miscarriage was your fault did you ever blame yourself yes i did i think that's a pretty common feeling when women after a miscarriage i mean it happened pretty early in the pregnancy there's any number of things that that could cause it to spontaneously end yeah. And so there, I mean, there, there was nothing that I did. There was nothing that I did. Um, it wasn't the right time, I guess. And maybe it was, I don't know. I don't know why God had that happen to us. But I know that we learned a lot. God's got bigger things and, and to, that will come out of that, like better things. I have to believe that. There's one of the things that, yes, it was painful for me and, and for Paul and for our family. Um, but God's going to use that to bring about something better. And I don't know if that has to do with, like, me personally. Maybe I'm a better person for having gone through that. Or maybe he's telling my story. But there was a lot more feeling of wanting to blame myself for the infertility in general. Like, not getting pregnant. Even though, like, we couldn't find anything wrong with me. We couldn't find anything wrong with Paul. Whatever the medical community could test for whatever reason that we weren't getting pregnant, they didn't have a test for. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, we were left with, we don't know whether or not. So it was really easy to blame myself because, let's be honest, women's bodies are more complicated. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> true. Than men. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, you know, like, a lot happening to 
to get pregnant. And mm-hmm. and since it happened in a woman's body, it's easy to think that that's where the problem lies. And that's not just true, that it could be a combination of factors. Who knows? I mean, ultimately, this is one thing that we learned. You can throw all kinds of effort and technology and what have you towards making a baby, but ultimately it's God. That's the only one that can create life. And even the the best infertility treatments, like the most successful ones, still have a failure rate that's pretty significant. <laughs> the best ones in the best situations, I think their their success rate, I think, isn't like not even fifty percent. We can only do so much to encourage a life to be created. Sometimes yeah. we won't figure out what why we delayed or why the answer was no for so long. I do know that that timing is perfect. And even though I wanted my kids to be closer together in age, it's been pretty handy having an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old and, well, I have an infant and not like a two-year-old or three-year-old. She can do so much more to help you. It's, I'm sure it's nice. <laughs> She's old enough where she can actually keep a kind of good eye on him if I say, like, Watch your brother for just a second while I go do this really quick and I'll be right back. And, you know, she can at least watch him enough to make sure he doesn't, you know, stick something in his mouth. Okay, well, I know our listeners are going to want to hear the end of this story. So tell us about Ian's birth, just real briefly how the pregnancy ended and that kind of thing. Okay, um, sure. So after the initial, like, the scare mid-pregnancy that is that there was going to be something wrong. Everything was fine. I had actually had a pretty easy pregnancy. I didn't have any complications other than, you know, I was supposedly against my <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, I did have, like, uh, hypertension at the end of my first pregnancy or near the, the end of my first pregnancy. So they were kind of watching for that. And so were we. But otherwise, I felt great. About, let's say, 34 and a half weeks. And we were walking in the woods near uh, our property. We had just cleared a spot for my in-laws to put house on. And we were walking in the woods, and I felt something like something strange, like I had pulled a muscle or something down kind of low on the belly. And I walked around, you know, we were talking about and where the house would sit and what stuff. And I walked around a little for a few more minutes trying to see if it would go away, and it didn't. And okay. <laughs> Okay, and I finally said to him, I was like, you know what, I, I need to go back to the house. And I was like, okay, so we just kind of meander back towards the house. I make more of a beeline to the house. <laughs> like, I, I was like walking with purpose back to the house, and everybody else was kind of meandering uh, behind me. And I get like halfway back to the house, and I felt this like, gush, small gush. <laughs> oh, oh, I really have to get back to the house. <laughs> <laughs> like hightail it back to the house and Paul sees me I actually like looked down after I felt the gush because I didn't know like how big of a gush that was but uh he's like what's wrong what did your water just break I'm like I don't know <laughs> I just, like, run almost run back to the house and um we get back to the house and I clean things up I'm like oh, hmm, I'm pretty sure that's what this is I'm pretty sure my water broke and so we're starting to be called my doula, which we had just hired. Like, we hadn't even, like, paid for yet. 
Mm -hmm. just met her like a couple of weeks before. I was kind of late to the game and deciding on a doula. Um, well, not not usually at 34 weeks. That's not usually late to the game. That's... Well, no, I thought I was going to that. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so we had just met her and like hadn't even like, paid for yet. Anyway, I call her and she said that, you know, if we want to go to the hospital, she needed there, no big deal. And um, okay, so I start packing a bag because I hadn't done that yet either. Yeah. And I eat something, I take a shower, all that. And I'm like, okay, maybe we should like hang out for a little bit, wait till the contractions get a little bit closer before we head to the hospital. So we tried doing that. I think that lasted about like 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let's just go. So fortunately, we had been with my in-laws and they took Anne and home with them so she could stay with them. So we, we got in the car and headed for the hospital. Um, I had decided, or kind of early on in pregnancy, that I really wanted to try a, a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean, that is cesarean. I really wanted to try it. So I'd been reading a whole bunch of books, one of the reasons we had to do that. But, like, I had been reading all this stuff, still was like, I thought I had, like, a month more to prepare for this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there was a lot of, like, fear and anxiety in me about that. But I'm not ready. <laughs> I was like, again, God was like, okay, I'm going to help you through this. Okay. So we go to the hospital. Paul, like, as we're driving to the hospital, Paul is, in his mind, he's heading for my doctor's office, which is near the hospital, but we ended up on the wrong street. And he's like, where are you going? The hospital's over there. <laughs> oh, right. It's over there. <laughs> we're, we're, could really see how flustered he was. Yeah. We got there totally fine. And the whole checking in process took forever. And I was getting more and more uncomfortable. This was, so my water broke at about 6 p.m. I don't know how long we spent in the triage room. That is like the worst room in that hospital. It's the like maternity triage room. It's like the bleakest room, beige walls, you're on a gurney, and it was terrible. Like that was, that was, Probably the worst part, like worse than actual delivery. In my <laughs> Sitting in this awful room, but then trying to like confirm that I'm actually in labor before they admit me. So they had, I had to wait for the doctor to come in and like test the, the fluid to see if it was actually in that fluid that was leaking. Like, yes, yes, I'm in labor. I'm not making this up. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know what else this could be. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So that was. And it was just horrible, just like the waiting got there. The doula got there in time and he was born at like 1.45. So not a very long labor. Started yeah. at six with my water breaking and he was, I delivered at 1.45 in the morning. He was four pounds, 11 ounces. Yeah, he was tiny. And there was, like when he first came out, his end had like the flavor coming in too, which I, thankfully I didn't see, um, cause that would have like, Blown my mind and it was in a basket case. But he was fine, as far as that goes. But he was having trouble maintaining his body temperature and his blood sugar, I think. He nursed and kept him close to me and all that stuff. He was still um, having trouble keeping his, his temperature up. And Paul's mentioned this before, like on our YouTube channel. Well, I don't know if we published that video yet. But anyway. It'll be out by the time this is out, I'm sure. Right? Yeah. He he talks about it um, in one of our videos. Even when the baby came out, and he sees how small he is. His heart just dropped. And then when they told us that he was having trouble keeping his temperature up, 
heart just stopped again. Please don't, please survive. You have to survive. There was a few moments where we thought we might have to take him to the NICU. And just like, I remember seeing him there under the warmer. Like, I mean, tiny. It was the tiniest baby I'd ever seen in real life. I remember sitting by the warmer. Like, please, God. Please, David, don't, don't let him die. Just don't let him die. I mean, all, all I wanted to do was take him and just hold him close again. Fortunately, it, it all worked out fine. He started, he started keeping his temperature up, started nursing again. They kept us a few extra days in the hospital to keep an eye on Billy Rubin. And he spent a whole day under Billy lights. But other than that, he was perfectly healthy. It was amazing to me that as much anxiety as we had, after that ultrasound, where we thought something might be really, really wrong, like catastrophically wrong with him. And then when he, you know, I started labor so early. And, and now at one year old, he's perfectly fine. Perfectly boy. Yeah, I look at him every day. But one, I can't believe he's actually here and real after <laughs> so many years of waiting. And then he's a perfect baby. He is such yeah. a little doll. Oh, he is He's so adorable. cute. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So cute. Oh my goodness. His little monkey crawl, one-legged golem crawl, like that Paul called it. Yeah. <laughs> a little one-legged crawl. Yeah. So cute. He's so funny. Yeah. Oh, what a huge blessing. Well, we just have one more question for you. We want to know what something good is in your life right now. This has been an amazing story, and we're so thankful for you sharing it. So what's something good that's going on? Well, my both of my sisters are talking about moving back to Oklahoma. One of my sisters lives in Mississippi, and his first husband is in the military. And they've been out of state for close to a decade now. And, I mean, we knew that they were going to move back to Oklahoma, um, but he's, I guess, Done with it, done with active duty, um, earlier than we thought. And, and then, like, out of nowhere, kinda, my younger sister has decided that she's gonna move up to Oklahoma. She's in West Texas where my parents are. So she's talking about, like, this year. So by, like, the end of the summer, probably, hey, my sister's really, like, back in Oklahoma. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, if I haven't lived close my uh, immediate family in three decades so um, more so that's pretty good yeah yeah that'll be really nice that'll be a lot of fun yeah Shelly thank you again so much for coming on our podcast today and sharing so much with us it has been such a joy to hear you talk about all the things you guys have been through and just I just really appreciate you sharing with us well thank you for saying I know that our listeners will really appreciate it, and there are many others out there with uh, maybe experiencing some of the things you and Paul experienced, and just the encouragement of how God carried you through, I think is a beautiful, encouraging, hopeful story. Yeah. Not just a story, it's your life, and, and I think that is so precious that you would take the time and it's probably still not easy to talk through all of that. So we really appreciate you doing it. It gets easier the more the more we talk about it. So um, I know in the in the moment, like when we were going through those tough moments, um, it was kind of hard to talk about it. Like I wanted to talk about it, but 
that's not an easy thing to talk about. And nobody yeah. wants to talk about um, hard things. Right. Um, but you need to talk about it. Like, secondary infertility is way more common than you think. Yeah. Just because you have one baby doesn't mean you'll have a second one. And doesn't mean it will be as easy to second turn around. For some people, it is. But for some people, it's really not. And it's yeah. surprising how common it is that that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, we don't, we don't talk a whole lot about miscarriages because, again, not a fun subject. But so many couples suffer in silence for that. Yeah. And we need to be able to talk about those things. And to let people know that they're not alone. Like, I know, I know so many women who have had miscarriages. At least one, if not more. And you, and sometimes you won't even know until you've had one yourself. And then you're like, oh yeah, I had one. But you didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think, I think our culture could do a lot more to support the whole that are doing. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you sharing and hope and know that this will be very encouraging to our listeners. Thank you. Wow. That was really, really good. I really enjoyed talking to Shelly. How about you, mom? I really did. I yeah. hadn't ever heard the whole story. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I remember pieces of it from just when it was happening and them talking to us, but I don't think I'd ever heard it all consecutively and together so it was really really impactful and really awesome to hear I agree what's something that stuck out to you well I was really impressed and uh, how much they learned to trust God and that he's in control and um, just how he's always present in our hard times yeah and as she was sharing the refrain on the song blessings just kept coming to mind because what if your blessings come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise and i just continually think you know we change the name to good things but we always want to remember that good doesn't mean easy right definitely not yeah i've never heard that song before is that a hymn it's a song by a girl named laura story oh okay and um not long after she was married her husband had a brain tumor and had to He's survived and everything, but he lost his short-term memory. Mm. And um, she wrote that song. That's cool. We'll we'll, uh, try and link it in the show notes then. That sounds really, really neat. It's one of my favorites. It carried me through a lot of the grief with dad dying. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. I loved how Shelly talked about how God just assured her that he wanted her um, just to live in the joy of her son yes. that she had they had experienced in between the moment of having the ultrasound and of the doctor saying hey there's a spot here and just that just elation that they had experienced and then later waiting to go back to the doctor just 
God saying like, that's, I want you to have that joy in your son, no matter what happens. And her choosing that without knowing that he was going to be healthy right. and, um, you know, right. so just thought that was so, so beautiful. And just, I don't know, how often do I choose not to have the joy of the Lord and things that will turn out okay. I don't know they'll turn out okay, but that God is providing for. But instead I am anxious. To and he calls that. us to rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, which is also not easy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is what he was asking her to do. So. Yep, exactly, exactly. So just such a beautiful testament of God's faithfulness. I loved talking to Shelly today and... I think as a result of this conversation, we're going to talk to Paul sometime soon. So everybody will get to hear Paul's side of the story. It sounds like he's got some really neat things to share. And I think that that'll be a really great perspective because so often when we do talk about this sort of thing, it's with the woman and not with the man. And so I think that'll be a really, really good conversation to talk to Paul. So keep listening, make sure that you're subscribed so that way you can catch that one when it comes. So anything else you want to add today, mom? No, I'm good. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We love you all. And we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm.